0: so um, if you've been here the last couple weeks we have been doing a series we're calling b1 one, make one be1 one, make one as I alluded to last week uh, I know that may be confused a couple of you guys we're not talking about making babies we're talking about making disciples a series on discipleship and um, you know, and, and, and our calling and the invitation of Jesus that we see in scripture is not just to be uh, Christians, in, in at least as we understand Christian or church goers, but to be disciples or followers or students who may most accurately translated apprentices of Jesus. We're to be apprentices and students of Jesus. But then beyond that, we are also invited into that mission of Jesus to help find, shape, and form other disciples or followers or apprentices of Jesus along the way. And this is one of our real core values here at Antioch. It's is not just to be churchgoers, but to be real students and apprentices and followers of Jesus who are also In the lives of other peoples, be it our peers or people around us, helping each other to follow Jesus in a real authentic, life-on-life way. And I mention this every week, but uh, if we are going to grow to be more like Jesus because of the work of the cross and we're going to start to do the things that Jesus did and not just be bench sitters or spectators that's going to be a messy journey as I've been saying us saying to us the last couple of weeks it's not going to be a straight line it'll be a non-linear messy journey into becoming more like Jesus and learning to do the things that Jesus did As I said before, I believe the mark of a true disciple of Jesus means that we will fail, we will fall short, and we will mess up along the way because we're actually taking risks and we're stepping out in obedience to Jesus. And I I know that uh, none of us love to fail, but it is actually, I believe, a real crucial part of our journey with Jesus. Let me illustrate. I was thinking about that... This week, and really, when it comes to most movie plot lines, there's some similar themes. Almost there's like there's like two or three themes you'll see out there in movies, and one of those key themes is that, you know, uh, everything's good at the beginning. There's some type of shared mission. Either there's a family or a team or something like that. But then somewhere along the way, probably the main character, you know, he's on that mission or she's about that mission. And, and somewhere along the way, something happens, and the main character in their development process falters, falls, fails, messes up, maybe small or big, somewhere along the way, and this tension enters into the plot line, right? And... Um, and they're found at this place where they're like, okay, I'm not like the worst guy or lady in the world, but but I'm not who I'm supposed to be or I'm not where I'm supposed to be and I don't know how I ended up here or how I found myself here and I feel failure and shame and maybe some separation. And then somewhere along the way, fate, as the movie would go, has it or whatever, uh they, they found out of their place of failure, they're shaped into who they're actually made to be. And, and there's a restoration process that happens, and, and all of a sudden, the, uh, the very thing that they felt like was going to sideline them was part of the journey that was catapulting them into who they're called to be and the accomplishment of that mission. <clears throat> Well, I find so often it's the same for us as followers of Jesus. Our growth journey will be messy. Just like in those movies, how we respond when we fail. How we perceive God when we fail. Whether that is sin, whether that's perceived failure, or whether that is uh, some type of disappointment, Um, It may not be the most exciting part of our walk with Jesus, but how we respond can either sideline us or stick us or actually catapult us into the very purposes and maturity that God is forming in us. So That's what I want to talk about today is, is, is responding to failure along the way because it will be messy. I don't have to ask a show of hands to say, hey. Who here has had a messy walk with Jesus at different points on the way? I think all of our hands ought to be raised, and if your hand's not raised, well, then you probably should have been the first one to put it up, you know? So um, what I want to do today is, is, um, is learn, hey, why is this significant in our lives, and what how does Jesus respond, and how do we respond uh, in the midst of that? And we're going to look at the life of Peter to see that. We've been looking at Peter a few different points along the way. We're actually going to look at a couple different chapters of Scripture, going to play out this story of Peter's failure and restoration. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 26, Then we're going to skip ahead to John 21. So if you need a Bible, put your hand up. We'd love to put one in your hand. Matthew 26 and John Twenty-one. So as you turn to Matthew chapters twenty-six, what's happening there uh, is the disciples have just had their uh, last supper together, right? So this is a last meal before Jesus is about to go to the cross. So it's this big night. Jesus is about to go to the cross. is an intimate thing, and uh, Jesus takes his disciples up to the Mount of Olives. And he's having this conversation here with Peter, and we're going to pick it up here. Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. Here we go. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, Uh, you will all fall away because of me this night. For as it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell to you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. I love this uh, this passage. Um, you see, uh, Peter here. This kind of this this just this picture. You know, uh, Jesus saying, "Hey, you're all gonna fall away," and Peter's like, "No, no, no! Like, I will be the man. I will not deny you." These people might fall away, and Jesus is like, "No! Like, actually, I'm telling you, hey, tonight's gonna happen three different times, man. Let me just tell you. Let me break it to you." And Peter's like, "No, no, no! Like, these guys, these suckers, they're gonna fall away, but I, I'm gonna be with you," and. Um, in the picture here of Peter you see is, is i think he's deeply sincere i think he really means from his whole heart that that he is committed he's he's all in with Jesus but but i think uh, what i don't see here is is a trust of the savior what i don't see here is a real depth to his faith or a real revelation or humility or brokenness i see a lot of passion but not maturity. I see passion, but not trust and faith. And so what is Jesus doing in this passage I alluded to last week? It's always a great question whenever reading scripture, and especially the gospel, what is Jesus doing? So here you have Jesus kind of breaking the news to his disciples. He knew what was going to happen. You don't see Jesus here like Guys, here's what's going to happen. Like, I didn't plan for this. My whole plan is messed up now. Like, y'all really screwed this thing up. And Peter, you were supposed to be the rock, and you are the biggest. It's going to be bad right now. I don't know what to do. i got to go seek the Father. To, no, no. Jesus knew all along, right, what was going to happen, right? And so what you're going to see here is Jesus using Peter's failure to shape him, Jesus was literally allowing Peter's failure to happen as a setup so that Peter could come face to face with his weakness. Let me say it like this Jesus will use our failure to help us get in touch with our humanity so we can learn to trust his divinity. Jesus will Bring us face to face with our failures and our humanity so that we can learn to lean in and trust his divinity. Because we'll never fulfill our purpose as individuals or we'll never have intimacy with God or we'll never walk into maturity as long as we're trusting ourselves. And so often we make it, man, our goal never to sin. And while that's not a bad goal and I don't think we should run to sin so that we might experience grace, as Paul said, God will use sin. Man, we have such an amazing God who will even redeem our failures for his purposes, all a part of our growth process. Isn't that good? He is a good God. So I want to look a little more deeply now into Peter's failure and kind of learn from that journey. Let's turn to verse 69 and 75. So um, what's happening here? You know, the disciples are praying, but they're supposed to be praying, but they can't stay awake. And Jesus is praying, and this mob is led by Judas, and Jesus is arrested, and the disciples are fleeing. And so Peter is now kind of following. He's been following Jesus. The scripture says at a safe distance, or at a a distance, kind of at a safe distance. And and, and this trial's going on with with Jesus, and Peter's out in the courtyard listening, kind of warming himself around this fire. And uh, let's pick it up in verse 69 here. Now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You were also with Jesus, the Galilean." But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So you can imagine Peter is in a low point. We're invited in to this kind of dark moment in Peter's life. Peter finds himself doing the thing he said he'd never do. He found himself... Becoming like maybe a person he's always tried to avoid being. I literally think out of a sincere heart, he pictured himself like, like the disciples falling away, a mob coming to Jesus, and it's like Peter and Jesus, and Peter has like a pee on his chest, and he's like, come at me, man. Like, you know, I will go with you, and I will go to the death. Like, I'm going to die to him, and, I, and I, I'm here. And here he is, you know, he was planning to face the mob, but he couldn't even stand up to this little girl and say his faith. And so you can imagine what's going on in his head. Man, just earlier tonight, I made these statements. I'm sure he's running them over in his head. I'm sure he's thinking, man, Jesus gave me this name and, and said that I would be the rock. And so now he's probably thinking, man, some rock I am. What happened to all of that? Maybe he's thinking, man, this, this church that, that Jesus said I'd be a part of, of building, man, that plan's messed up now. Who knows what was going on, but I guarantee you he was in a dark place. I want you to think of that moment of your greatest failure, that moment you feel like you blew it in the plot line of Jesus for your life, right, was somehow blown. That was probably what Peter was feeling in that moment, like, oh, dang, like, I want to run from this, I want to scream, I want to hide, I want to get into the covers, right, I want to go do something really dumb. That's what Peter is feeling right now. And it's in that place in our lives, just like I'm sure Peter was feeling, that shame and fear and doubt want to creep in. It's that place in our life where Satan comes in to question our identity. And it's because of that, that not if we fail, but when we fail, when we fall short, when we don't do like we said, or we don't do the thing we know to do, that moment and those times can be the make or break of our discipleship journey. Not if we fail or not, but how we respond to it. You see, when you blow it, when you fall short, is when fears want to sideline you. It's when doubting and questioning of your calling, of your character, of, of the purposes of your life start to come in, and it's when the enemy and his demons will come in and start to, to serenade your ears and your thoughts and your feelings that might even sound a little bit like yourself. What he does, he comes in, he questions God. Literally, one of those names, is is, he's the accuser of the brethren. He questions God. He accuses you. And and literally, what you see in the garden, he came in and he, he questioned, hey, did God really say he'll question the word? He'll question God's character. He'll question your purpose. That name, devil, comes from two words, dia and balo. Dia means to hit or pierce through. Balo means to blow or to throw repeatedly. So that name literally means to hit again and again and again and again and again until something is knocked down or pierced through. That is Satan's strategy, and I guarantee you the times will come the strongest and the clearest or when you feel like you are failing or falling short, whether it's some sin in your life or you just feel like, man, I stink as a husband, I stink as an employee, I'm missing my calling, I feel behind in life. I don't know what that area is in your life that will get you to that dark place of Peter, but that is when Satan will come in, and he will speak lies again and again, and he will come at you as long as you'll listen to him and until he knocks you down. That is his Amen. Hey that, is, that is how the enemy wants to take us out. And so, what, what will we do in that moment? Right? If the enemy wants to take us out this way, um, before we learn from Peter and Jesus, I want to first ask, and how, how do we respond? Right? So we can understand how, how the enemy wants to take us out. Have a little self awareness about what do we do in those places or spaces of of kind of perceived or actual failure. Kind of share a little illustration here. I... I, um... I uh, lived in a house I I shared a few weeks ago. Uh, It was we had eight guys. We took in uh, a a homeless guy who was coming off crack and giving life to Jesus, (laughs) who was uh, coming out of a gang as well. We had a dog. It was a crazy house. We had we had a lot of Jesus and a lot of craziness. Uh, The floors I was talking about. It's like there's like sloped floors. So, but we had this dog in the house and like had a gluttonous spirit. It was like it was just like this. It would get into everything. So sometimes it was clear and obvious, I was getting into it, like like the whole shelving unit in the kitchen would be knocked down. Like, boom, you know, we all run, like, what is going on? And there's food everywhere, and he'd already eaten, like, a whole loaf of bread within 30 seconds. I don't, uh, this dog literally had the mouth of a vacuum. It's was like, and just would take it. In. Sometimes he was sneaky, though. I mean, he, uh, he, uh, <laughs> remember one time my roommate came home from, uh, from his grandparents' house. His grandmother had cooked him, like, uh, had baked him like grandma's like special chocolate chip cookies, you know. Now, now listen, dogs are not supposed to eat chocolate chip cookies. This dog, he set them down quietly without us hearing about it. Within three minutes, he literally vacuumed up 50 chocolate chip cookies without anyone who was hearing it somehow he was, like, immune and did not get sick. I, I literally don't know what this dog's deal was. But, you know, it might have been sneaky. It might have been loud or whatever. But his response was always the same. <laughs> he would run his tail between his legs literally every time. Every Tail between, I can still picture. His name was Booker to this day. Tail between the legs out in the other room. He, and he would literally go to these corners and just, like, sit here in shame and I was like this is a picture of sin like right here you have 50 chocolate chip cookies in your stomach and you're cowering in shame and you ought to be barfing all over the place like what <clears throat> what is wrong with this dog right but that's no different than Adam and Eve in the garden right that's no different right than any other other one of us And that was such a, a clear picture we we have things we have learned to do in that place of darkness we have things we have learned to do and we feel like we fall short somewhere along the way that might have come from our our family of origin maybe we were taught you know to we maybe we were ashamed into obeying maybe we were uh, maybe it was avoided that when we did something wrong it was just it was kind of just put to the side and just just put on a best face and 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 just be change your behavior and pretend like you're a good person, right, so that everyone thinks we're this perfect family, or maybe your parents or whoever raised you lived, uh, said one thing and did another, or maybe you were in a house where there's no boundaries or no consequences, and it's kind of like, hey, you can do whatever you want and get away with it, right? I don't I don't know, but we were shaped by our family of origin. We we're shaped by our culture, uh, and, and I think that affects kind of how we see God or how uh, we respond. I think so much of it could get kind of boil down to maybe this two categories of response to two different ditches you got a road here and I think we tend to either uh, address our failure in our life through legalism or license right and both of these are ditches that will not be very fruitful right if we are in license license is saying oh hey uh I am loved regardless, which is true, but there's no standards of life. So it's, hey, well, I'm just going to avoid the sin of my life. I'm just going to kind of avoid that I'm doing that and kind of go over here. Or it's just that, hey, like, like uh, maybe kind of a false grace. Like, hey, bro, you know, like, it's okay. You don't even need to talk about it, right? Because we are loved. But, but it's kind of this just, just it doesn't really matter how we live or what we do. And what that actually does, it creates confusion in us because God is truth and we're called to be people of truth and light. And it actually creates insecure people. We don't have consequences, we don't have boundaries, we don't know where our limits are, and we don't kind of get a clear picture of who we are. So we actually start to become insecure. Do my parents, or do people, or does God really approve of me? Because I know what I'm doing, and I know by the Spirit of God is wrong, but no one's talking to me about it, right? And so it's just avoided, and we become insecure, and we don't have any power to actually change. You remove the truth, there's no power for transformation. Well, legalism is is uh, basically behavior modification, right? Try harder, do it better, right? But there, it doesn't get ever to a heart level along the way. Some of this were taught us, taught this growing up, maybe with our families, you were taught to kind of, okay, we're a mess of a family, but when you go to church, just put on a smile, don't talk about it, you know, you get an argument in the car, every way to church, shut up, don't talk about it, you know, and we get there, and, and, and maybe we're taught that way in church, our heart never changes, Along the way, and what that does, it drives into shame, and and uh, and it has no power to change the heart. And you see that in Colossians chapter two. And I think there's maybe kind of five five uh, you know simple responses that we start to kind of do if we are choosing these these broken these broken because these broken ditches because none of them actually work. So one of those is that we maybe hide. We tend to hide from sin. I was just uh, trying to account for this last week and just going over this simple list, just a tool to help us see. We might hide in that place of shame, um, that kind of that, oh, you know, like Adam and Eve, back to the garden. Or maybe we uh, just embrace our shame. We take it on as part of who we are, and it drives us deeper and farther down, right? Maybe we deny that we did. I have a slide I'm going to put that up. Um, we deny that we did it. No, you know, and kind of like have this part of our life over here and this part of our life over here. Maybe we blame others, right? Or you didn't text me uh, accountability, so therefore I felt, you know, or whatever. We do all these goofy things. We kind of project it onto others that they didn't do something for us. Or maybe we just avoid it, right? If I just leave it, it'll get, get better along the way. But ultimately, none of these things set us free, None of these things draw us closer to Jesus. These are coping mechanisms, and these are, these are our own failed human attempts that the world, that our culture, that our families uh, have given us, and then we get these coping mechanisms out of there that never ultimately, none of these lead us to Jesus. None of these lead us closer to God. None of these change the human heart. Uh, they're, they're either... Um, Say, hey, sin doesn't really matter, not a big deal. Or it's saying, hey, it does matter and you stink and change yourself, right? Man, in a broken world apart from Jesus, there is no hope. But man, in stepped Jesus. These are ditches along the way that we tend to go in, probably one or the other, but God steps in to a broken world. I love John 1:14. how did Jesus come in? It says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love that. Jesus didn't come saying, hey, your sin doesn't matter, nor did he come just holding your sin over your head and just leaving you there. He came full of truth and clarity, called out our sin And then he gave us grace by the power of the cross. We need those both if we're ever going to be free. We need truth. We need conviction. So often we just want to feel better, right? But we need truth that goes deep, that penetrates our heart, that shows us right from wrong. Because we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. As it says in John 8, and we need the grace of God in that truth. When we realize we have sinned, when we realize we have fallen short, when we realize uh, man, I'm not God, I need God, we need the grace of God. And we see that in the power of the cross. Romans 8, 1 through 2, I love this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Man, that was me. I was Trying to go down that legalistic road years ago, I remember to this day in college, being in the gym, just, just memorizing that passage. Just getting in my head again and again and again and again to set me free. Jesus came full of truth and grace. You see him with the woman caught in adultery. He addressed her sin and said, hey, sin no more. But he protected her from, uh, from, uh, from shame and, and forgave her and set her free. You see him doing that again and again, addressing sin and bringing grace in the midst of addressing sin and setting captives free. And ultimately, you see him going to the cross. And in a broken and hurting world, taking on the sin of the world, not saying, hey, it doesn't matter, or let's just avoid it, or this is a big mess. He took on the sin of the world on the cross, on himself, and took its consequences and our consequences that we deserve. And he rose from the dead after his death on the cross, defeating the power of death that is who he is and that truth and grace that we see worked in the cross brings real freedom so what do we see here we see a savior who doesn't run in our sin when he saw a broken world we see a savior who comes to us he came to the earth he became incarnate he ran to a sinful and hurting world he ran to us in our mess and he gave his life for us where do you feel like Jesus is when you sin? Running from you? Ashamed of you? Or is he running to you? Not with some false grace. Not with some false avoidance. But with truth and full grace. Truth and full grace. That's who our God is. And so when we look at this story, I'm sure we know Peter was at a dark point, ready to give up, but God. God. But Jesus stepped in, and we're going to see Jesus respond in the same way as he came to the cross and came to be present. He comes back after again to visit the disciples again and again numerous times. And when he visited the disciples, was he like, okay, you know, John, Andrew, James, Thomas, y'all kind of messed up. Like, y'all went away, but you didn't know I me. Mean, so you're good, Peter, out. You know, like, I know I said you're the rock, but that thing you did, disqualified done forever, you know, no longer the rock, no, 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 Jesus came and he, came, he comes back to all of them and he comes to, to, um, to the beach here this time, he's there, they're out fishing because they had pretty much given up on their calling, right, they just go back to what they knew, oh, we know how to fish, we'll make a little money, they're not getting anything though, probably feeling like, man, we can't follow Jesus, we can't fish, we're not doing too well, right, and here comes Jesus on the beach coming to them. Let's read uh, Peter's response to seeing Jesus in John chapter 21, verse 7 and 8. I love this. It says this. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. I love Peter's response. makes me think of my kids. Uh, Oftentimes, when I come home, it doesn't matter how we left off that morning. They will literally throw down whatever they're doing and literally run to me and say, Daddy, and just run and jump into my arms. I was here in pre-service prayer, and my daughter uh, came with my wife, and, and she comes running over to me and jumps up into my arms and just throws herself. I love it. And I think that's, I, when I think of Peter's response, It's literally what I'm thinking. It's like this childlike, uncalculated heart response to, like, <laughs> I'm a mess, but Jesus, and just literally, like, jumping out of the boat, right? And I love that. He ran to Jesus, he ran to Jesus in his darkness, in his pain. He was uh, authentic. He was real. He would embrace it, and he took it to Jesus, not away from Jesus. And I love that he, he didn't waste another second. Right? Some of us, we sit in our condemnation. We sit in our shame. We sit in our failure. We sit with the voice of the enemy. We hang out with the devil for a good week, and we try and, like, clean it up you're like, hey, well, you know, I failed, so let me just kind of, like, ease my way back and with the Lord. And that's not all what Peter is doing. He literally, the moment he sees him, springs over to Jesus and jumps to him. And the other thing, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, probably would have been faster to, like, be in the boat. And they probably got faster back to, back to him. You know, listen, repenting and coming out to Jesus, it's always messy. You know, it's not some, like, slick process where you kind of, like, clean it up for a few days. And it's some slick, like, I repent, Lord. Here's my super spiritual activity since I'm, like, trying to requalify myself, right? No, he, he just throws himself. It was probably slower. It was probably messier. But, like, that's what repentance looks like. It will be messy. When we come back to Jesus, we bring our baggage. We bring our failure. We bring our lies we're believing. We bring whatever you got, you come bring it to Jesus. And I love when I see Peter just he just jumps out into the water. And I want to contrast that for a second with Judas's response. Maybe some of you guys are familiar with this. Judas was the one who bet- betrayed Jesus and handed him over to be arrested. <coughs> Jesus, uh, Peter was able to receive the grace of God. Judas was so grieved by his sin and ultimately so prideful he, couldn't, he didn't allow himself to receive the grace of God. What did he do? He ended up went and killing himself. His shame, his, his, his rejection, his self-rejection, his, his perceived rejection from Jesus ultimately drove him to his own death. That is what the enemy wants to do is kill, steal, and destroy. One ran from Jesus in their failure. The other ran to Jesus in their failure. Which way do you go? Do you isolate? Do you? Hide. You're like, hey, I'm going to hang out away from community. I'm going to hang out away from God for like till I clean it up. Which way do you run and how's it working out for you? Jesus wants to set you free. And listen, it doesn't end there. It just gets even better. I'm going to pick it up um, here in verse 15. You see, once they kind of get settled on the beach, they got this big catch. And uh, I love. Jesus' invitation to verse 12 is one of my favorite passages. He said, come and have breakfast. It's a good passage. Um, so, so Jesus basically cooks up this kind of fish fry. They bring the fish. He had a fire already prepared. And what you see again here is Jesus' like pre-thought-through plan. He had a fire prepared. And all of a sudden, you're going to see this powerful conversation between Jesus and Peter. Let's pick it up in verse 15 of John chapter 21. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So what is Jesus doing here? One of those times, again, like I said, Jesus has thought it through. He's got the fire prepared. He's got this conversation probably already planned out in his head. Jesus was, was very intentional to not just forgive Peter but to restore Peter. What Jesus is doing is taking Peter into the details of his places of failure and inserting himself as Savior and Redeemer into the story of Peter. How so? you got a charcoal fire that they're having the conversation by, just like the fire where Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus gives the opportunity for Peter to say, I love you, Jesus, just like the three times that Peter denied Jesus by a similar fire. There's two different Greek words here. Jesus said, do you phileo me the first two times? Do you give me brotherly love? And the last one was, do you agape me? Do you give me, uh, you know, perfect love? Peter was grieved saying, no, ultimately, I, I, I phileo you, I love you. I don't know if I'm, if I'm perfect or, or love you perfectly, but you, you know I at least phileo or imperfectly love you. And Jesus is accepting Peter's imperfection and giving him grace in that place. And on top of that, here they are. At the Sea of Galilee, in the same exact place where Jesus first said the words, follow me. What does he say again? Follow me. Jesus steps in. He doesn't ignore some type of false grace that doesn't transform. He steps in and acknowledges the details of Peter's failure. And in each one of those forgives and reinstates. And each one of those forgives and reinstates and forgives and reinstates and forgives and reinstates. Hey, now feed my lambs and hey, just like it was at the beginning. We're going to go back to that point. Remember, before you ever failed, that's how my forgiveness works. Come follow me. Come follow me. Guys, let me say it to you like this. Failure is not final. I don't know where you're at today, or where you feel like you're in the journey, but failure is not final. Jesus' redemption is greater than sin. Jesus' redemption always wins over sin when we run to Jesus in our failure. What you see here is that Jesus had a restoration plan for Peter's failure before it happened. And I believe if you are sitting there today and you feel like you're falling short somewhere, or failed somewhere along the way, I believe Jesus already has a restoration plan that he has in store if you will find him in it. A few years ago, uh, I, I can say I, this is me many times, right? All I have to do is ask my wife. I tend to, uh, you know, get frustrated, then I'll, then I'll beat myself up. I feel like I'm not being the husband I'm called to, do, uh, called to be, and then I'll, isolate and all walk in shame and God has had to teach me a a, a better journey and a better process as a husband and as a dad and as a friend because I do fail like the rest of you and I'm on my own journey of grace uh, and finding his restoration but one of those things that comes on is a couple years ago I'd uh, found myself just in a place of accumulated discouragement Things, not just from planning a church or being a dad, but just even from earlier in life, just places for whatever reason. I, you know, hit my uh, early to mid-30s and started kind of cropping up. And just felt like, man, I, I feel like I'm not where I need to be and not seeing the fruit I need to see. And, and just had started to listen to the lies of the enemy and honestly just felt like a failure. It wasn't a moral sin. It wasn't something like that. It was just, man, I, I, I feel like a failure. And I look to the future, and honestly, I just don't have a whole lot of vision or hope or expectation for good. And so I, I took this retreat and just kind of like stumbled into the arms of Jesus. And it was like, Lord, here I am. I, I, I know all the right answers. I know what to do and things that have kind of worked for me in the past. So I feel like, God, you're like surfacing this deep sense of failure in my life. God, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't fully know where to begin, but I do want to begin by being with you. <clears throat> and over the next couple of days, I had pages and pages, not only things that God was speaking to me through Scripture, but things that God was speaking by the Holy Spirit. You know, I came in wanting answers. I want to know, what is this going to look like, and what's the future going to hold here, and and how can I, like, make myself better, because that's the way I love to cope with my failure, like, make myself better, because I'm an Enneagram 3 or whatever, you know, and, like, I'm going to, like, fix this thing and, like, paint a picture from the future for myself, right? And he didn't answer those questions. He came and said, I'm loving you. I'm loving you. I'm preparing a way for you. I'm preparing a future for you. I know the plans I have for you. I, I, mercy and goodness will follow you all the days of your life. And they begin to speak. They begin to speak promises. And they begin to restore my heart. And they begin to enter in with me in the places I feel like I blew it in the past. Or I was too selfish. Or I didn't do this. Or I should have said yes here. They begin to enter into those places with me. And I came in tired in my own strength. And I left that time. No, that process wasn't completed. It's still happening, by the way. I'm still in process. But I left with a limp leaning on Jesus. I left with a limp leaning into his promises, leaning into his character, leaning into his goodness. And he is still working some of that stuff out in me. But I came in with a lot of Mark and very little Jesus. And I I left with a whole lot of Jesus (laughs) and less of me in a very good way. He painted a picture of hope in my heart because he reminded me of who he is and what he's done on the cross and and what kind of God he is.